It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. And finally, we are going to be talking about games instead of draft strategies and everything else. I know all that's fun. But again, we're here for the real deal, and here it is starting this week. And again, Corey Smith joining us, a friend at Rotowire, getting us ready for everything this year. And uh, how excited are you that it's just right here in front of us, finally, uh, the first week? Week one, baby. It's like Christmas Eve, especially with no preseason. And uh, I'm ready to go, Paul, and so I can talk some week one matchups with you here today. Now, one thing people have been asking me, and uh, and I think it is a, a valid point, what do we expect for fantasy scoring these first couple weeks? Because there was no preseason, and yeah, the starters, they don't play a whole heck of a lot in those games, but they do play a little to help them out. Do you think it's going to be rough here the first couple of weeks, fantasy scoring-wise? I definitely think the defense is going to be ahead of the offense in terms of on-field football going to be a little bit sloppy here for maybe the first two, three weeks, but I see maybe Paul a slight decrease in overall production, but nothing drastic. They're still, these guys, you're going to see the coaches sticking with them for the most, most part, understanding there's going to be some rustiness. So I think the volume will still be there, but maybe we can expect a little bit of depletion in scores like weeks one through three. I could see that with a little bit of a sloppy play early on. And what we're going to do, get you ready for week one, look at some of those positions that you you might have a little trouble deciding who to go with and maybe some of those matchups not favorable. We'll start off quarterback. uh, We'll start off right away. It's going to be on Monday night. The Giants uh, taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Daniel Jones, yeah, we talked about pretty favorable about him in the uh, draft lead-up shows that, uh, yeah, we think he's going to have a big season. But this matchup may be a little troublesome for him to kick everything off for 20 2020. He's definitely one of my more favorite quarterback values this season, Paul, season long. But week one against the Steelers, it's definitely not ideal unless you're in a very deep deep league where he gives you the most upside of the position. I'm thinking we're going to try to stray away from Danny Dimes here in week one. The Pittsburgh front, I think, is just going to be a complete mismatch for the Giants' front five on the offensive line. I do think they're going to get a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones here in week one. So that's kind of my main concern here, Paul. Uh, Nate Solder opted out for the season. Andrew Thomas here, I know he's the number four overall pick, but he's literally coming in with no preseason work. He's starting on the blind side, left tackle. They got Watt and Cameron Hayward coming off the line for Pittsburgh. And this one to me stands out. Daniel Jones had 11 fumbles lost last year, four more than any other player in the entire league. So I could see some issues with ball control here, clock control, and just having enough opportunities. You know, obviously the turnovers will duck him a few points here and there. But I don't know. I I think that this is a tough matchup for Danny Dimes week one, Paul. I don't know if you have any stock in Daniel Jones this year. I have him in one league, and I'm kind of debating if I should go with him or another option. I don't know if you have any Jones this year. I I do have him in one league, and yeah, he's going to be on the bench for week one. I I like Matt Ryan as my starter for week one, even though he's got a tough matchup against Seattle. But uh He's a little more proven than uh, Jones is right away, but who knows? Danny Dimes could prove us all wrong once again with this matchup, but I am uh, leaning your way with this one. Probably uh, keep him on the bench for this week. I'm with you on that one. And here on number two for kind of the fade picks at quarterback, guys, I'm kind of fading out of the lineup. We may not be on the same page here with Aaron Rodgers. Now, I I know this (laughs) one could blow up my face, Paul. I mean, 
Yeah. A pissed off Aaron Rodgers is bad <laughs> news for every other of the 31 teams in the NFL this year. And I, I will say that. I, and I think here's where I'm going to maybe disagree with you on that because, yeah, he has the big chip on his shoulder of who's behind him on the roster and what happened in the first round. But also, he owns the Vikings in 22 games. <laughs> and, and I know the last season, not great. But in 22 games against them, a 68 percentage, he has completion percentage, over 5,500 yards, 44 TDs, and six INTs, and no crowd noise at U.S. Bank Stadium this week. Great point. That, I think, is going to help him immensely, and I actually think he might be boom. But I want to hear why you think it might not be a good start this week. Like you said, the Vikings do have one of the most formidable home field advantages in the NFL. So that I'm going to be super intrigued to see how these games look, how they sound, how they feel week one. But that is an advantage for Rodgers. Also, pretty recent news here today, Daniil Hunter has been placed on IR with a neck injury. Oh, so that kind of yeah. knocks out my point of them having an elite duo at each level. That uh-huh. leaves them with just really Ngakwe as the Pro Bowl caliber guy we know of on the defensive line. That's a big loss for Minnesota. But I will say down the stretch last, last year, it was surprising. What Rodgers did in fantasy was really below expectations. Mm-hmm. He busted over the entire course of the year last year. He went under 13.5 points eight times. And he had just, I cannot believe this, just three games with three or more touchdown passes last year. So, he, of course, he has that boom potential in him. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Quarterback, no question in my mind. But... Weeks 9 to 17 last year, he was the 24th ranked quarterback in fantasy. Kyle Allen for the Panthers. Now Washington backup gave you two more points per game than Aaron Rodgers weeks 9 to 17. I do not hate the strategy of going Rodgers season long. I think he definitely, he does have sneaky top five potential. But overall in week one, I'm, I'm not hot on this matchup. Could blow up my face, but he's kind of on my fade list for week one here. Okay, yeah, I do see the recent history. I I do agree with you that that is troublesome. But the <laughs> other the other thing though I see is yeah, no pass rush really. Well, there's going to be a pass rush from the Vikings. Uh, Zimmer's going to find a way to get pressure. But the other thing is those cornerbacks very mm-hmm. inexperienced. Now I know they have uh, Harris and Smith in the uh, you know at the safeties, but there have been times where Rodgers has made Smith look absolutely ridiculous out there with just some of the things he's pulled off. So I really like him this week. It just I depends who out there your other quarterback options are. I mean, if he's on a lot of teams, he's a backup for in some of these smaller leagues. He's your backup. So I guess if you have Deshaun Watson, I I would still stick probably with him maybe over Rodgers. But I sure. if if you have Rodgers, you're rolling with him. I, I kind of do like this matchup this week. I can see that. You know, 12, 14, 16 team league, I could definitely see he's just your best option this week and gives you the most upside. So deeper leagues can see that for sure. All right, so now quarterbacks will probably agree on a lot of these. For uh, You're saying uh, go start them this week. We're going to start off the Sunday night football game. Dallas and the L.A. Rams. Uh, you're liking Goff in this one? Goff is a guy that I like coming on the cheap for DFS. If you have a last-minute draft or you know a retro draft, maybe Friday or Saturday, a guy you can pick up in the later rounds. Weeks 12 to 17 last year, he was the sixth-best fantasy quarterback, better than Dak, better than Russell Wilson. He was actually amazingly tied with Patrick Mahomes pretty much 
in fantasy production week 12 through 17 last year. He also gives you the high floor, 15-plus points in each of his five final outings of 2019. He had some spotty performances, some spotty stretches last year, but seemed to come into his own. And really, I didn't think, Paul, the Cowboys addressed defense as much as I thought they would this offseason. No. Of course, they go C.D. Lamb first round, but they're leaning on a bunch of old guys. I mean, they got people coming off suspensions, uh, Greg Hardy, they've got uh, Smith, who hasn't played in a couple of years, been dealing with different things off the field. Uh, they lose Malik Collins, they lose, they lose Jeff Heath. Of course, they get Van Der Esch back, but this Cowboys defense, also no Gerald McCoy for the Cowboys. I don't know, Paul, this is supposed to be a shootout. Uh, the over-under of 51.5 is the second highest total coming out of Vegas this week. And last year, when the Cowboys playoff lives were on the line, weeks 13 to 17, they gave up the eighth most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. So golf here, coming on the cheap, maybe a alternative in a deeper league here. I think on Sunday night, I like golf against the Cowboys here. I do too. And, you know, Dallas, I know they tried, they just signed Everson Griffin. He's coming in. He would have been their sack leader last year. He had eight sacks. So that tells you the defense, you know, they're trying to make an improvement, but that's not going to be a whole heck of a lot to, you know, push pressure on this McVay offense. And that secondary for Dallas is kind of questionable too. And we did talk about this, you know, in our lead up shows that. The McVay offense, after that Super Bowl, took a big hit, but they still put up some huge numbers last year. Two receivers over 1,000 yards, Woods and Cup. I mean, they, they got the receptions and everything, and they were still rolling a bit. It was probably not as heralded as the year before, but I think Jerry Goff going to have a big year, and I think it starts Sunday night. I'm with you, Paul. This is pristine matchup. I'm loving Goff Sunday night, and just a sleepy guy. He's not really one of those picks. If you got him in fantasy drafts of somewhere where people were oohing and on yeah. and trying to trade for him immediately, but the quarterback position we know is very deep, and he is exemplary of just that. So dial up golf against the Cowboys Sunday night. Our next one you're liking, Cam Newton and those new-look New England Patriots. Belichick is singing his praises. That's got to be good things, right? Now, this is a little bit more of the risky pick. I'd say <laughs> Rodgers being on the hate list, I can see that blowing up my face. Newton is the high-risk, high-reward on the love side. Okay. I do love Newton this week. And the reason I do, I think that I really could see the Patriots wanting to make a statement, namely Belichick. You mentioned, you know, he's singing Newton's praises. He's saying things about Cam that he practically never said about Tom in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, nobody works harder than Cam does, for example. Uh, he's, already, he's already a captain on this team, too. So the locker room politics have been interesting so far in New England, to say the least, Paul. Yeah, it is. I mean, those comments that just came out, and yeah, Belichick doesn't sing the praises of many of his own guys on his team, so those are kind of surprising, and well, they're going against a guy that knows their their offense pretty good. You know, Brian Flores, the former defensive coordinator over there at New England, and, and helped out, so I mean, that might be a risky matchup, but... Still, they have a lot of questions on that defense for Miami. They bring in Byron Jones. They get uh, Igby Nogany in the draft out of Auburn. Also bringing Carl Lawson from Buffalo. So personnel-wise, some names that come in that excite you, but there are still some holes in this Miami defense, of course. It was a total rebuild project last year. Uh, of course, it was the tank for Tua to start the season, yeah. seemingly. But they played a lot better than we thought, so... You know, a frisky team, they seem to love their coach, and they're going to be okay defensively with these new names, but still not a top-10 unit or anything like that, in my opinion. And remember the motive here. I mean, 
New England is going to be feisty for this game. They got knocked down. They got knocked out of a first-round bye in Week 17 last year. Miami beat them, shocked the world, yes, and that right. pulled KC up into that number two spot. So I could see the Patriots maybe, I don't know about running it up, but definitely doing everything they can here and not overlooking Miami. So I think he could be a top-12 quarterback this week, Paul. I know he hasn't played in a year. This is a, this is a risky yeah. pick. But I could, see, I could just see on Sunday night watching the lead up to Cowboys-Rams, the highlights of the day, and one of the stories is Cam Newton has three touchdowns in his first game in a year. I could, I just see the Patriots wanting to feature him, and he's a hell of a player when he's healthy. So this guy, I, it's a high risk, but if we're going DFS, I do like Newton, and I do like him deep league too. Now i got to ask this too because Belichick's already playing around with the health report and the injury report. i already seen Edelman questionable. Is he just – is this typical Belichick where he about 20 guys get designated one thing and all of a sudden they're just fine or – is there maybe some legitimate concern about some of the targets, uh, you know, Edelman or Enkeel Harry or whoever that uh, Cam might be featuring uh, this week? We'd have to keep a close eye on Edelman. I mean, if he is a questionable tag coming into Sunday, it's just something to monitor Sunday morning in the lead up watching pre, you know, yeah. pre 1 p.m. kickoff stuff. If it doesn't seem like he's doubtful at this stage, I mean, I see a lot of guys in my lineups. I've got four teams this year. I see a lot of cues next to their names. Yes. I'm just keeping an eye on it. But, I mean, the in-depth stuff on Edelman, I mean, they're kind of keeping it veiled. NFL teams have still been able to tag guys as undisclosed injury at this stage. They will not be able to keep doing that going into the regular season. So we may get some more detail on him, Harry, as well. But as of now, I'm just keeping a close eye on him. And a couple other receivers will mention as well who have uh, been banged up this week. So at this moment, it's TBD, and I'd keep a very close eye Sunday morning. All right. We're going to get into those flex running backs, maybe the most you know difficult part you might have to make uh, you know in that flex position, maybe if I start another running back. And we've got some here on this list that might help you out. Maybe a guy too many people didn't think about in their draft until David Montgomery got injured in Chicago. Now, we're not sure if Montgomery might be back this week. He still might not be out. But Tariq Cohen, you're liking uh, this play against the uh, Lions defense that historically is terrible against the run. I didn't bring him up as one of my ride or, ride or die guys for 2020. And I mentioned Cohen kind of had a low ceiling coming into the season with Montgomery in front of him. Uh, at the moment, we know Montgomery's going to be out for another probably one to three weeks at least. Mm-hmm. we got to keep an eye on that, too. I mean, sometimes these hamstrings, they can linger. But right now, Cohen seems to have a clear path to like 15 touches this week. And he's projected for well over 15 PPR points this week on the lineup optimizer on Rotowire. He's also the second highest valued running back this week in terms of his ADP versus his projected production this week. So it's also a pretty nice matchup. The Lions gave up the fifth most PPR points per game to opposing backs last year. Of course, you know, things transfer year to year. They bring in Jamie Collins, a couple other moves, but it was a really bad running back defense in Detroit. So Cohen, I think he's going to get a little bit more work than usual this week, Paul. And yeah, I do think that the Lions is a decent matchup for him. I I don't know about your thoughts on Cohen. I don't have any season-long investment in him, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking into him for DFS. 
yes. I I always liked him too, and I think with Trubisky starting, that actually benefits him because you know they had a little connection a couple years ago when Cohen was featured a lot more in the offense. They were kind of using him as their Kamara back. It, I mean, he was catching balls out of the backfield. Uh, they were using him all over the field, and I think that might help him out here too. So the PPR points will be there for sure. I think uh, you know just catching a little dink and dunks out of the backfield to help Trubisky out. He might get uh, you know six or seven out of the backfield seven points right there and if he could just add some rushing yardage to that pop a touchdown he could have a pretty decent game for you this week that familiarity will help with Trubisky and last year was kind of a hit or miss for Cohen but 2018 I love the stat about his efficiency Cohen was the 11th best PPR back over the course of the entire 2018 season and he only needed 10.6 offensive touches per game to do that yeah the guy who finished one spot in front of him at number 10, Joe Mixon, he only had basically 10 more points the entire year than Cohen, but he needed 20 touches per game. So basically, Cohen had the exact same production as Joe Mixon. They were like 10 and 11 in 2018, but Mixon needed 20 touches per game. Cohen needed 10 and a half touches per game to do that. So this is just an electrifying guy, Paul. We know that. It was a question about volume, but now I, I do see a few more carries this week. So, yeah. I'm liking Cohen for week one against the Lions here. And especially, both are, sounds like. Yeah, and especially in DFS formats, yeah, I, I love that value. And then you can load up on other positions. No question. So with Montgomery, if he's going to go for week one. Now the Washington backfield. This thing has just been a mumbled mess. I, if you, you know, we had Adrian Peterson get cut, so now he's in Detroit. Uh, we've heard all kinds of things about, oh, Bryce Love might be the starter. No, it might be. Uh, J.D. McKissick, it might be someone else. Peyton Barber now factored into it. Oh, yeah, they picked Antonio Gibson, but some reports were saying, well, he wasn't having that great of a camp. Who do we trust in this uh, Washington backfield? Now, on paper, it is a seemingly tough matchup if we're thinking about starting one of these guys. The Eagles' rush defense is pretty badass, at least the front four. But Gibson, what we're going to get out of him is also the pass-catching upside. And like Cohen, we hope... Just insane efficiency. So at the moment, you look at Washington's depth chart, Gibson is the top back. Uh, AP out, as you said, onto Detroit. We'll get to them in a minute here. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like Gibson is the top guy and to me has the most upside for week one, despite the main concern, which is he didn't get a ton of work in college, just 33 rush attempts last year and 38 catches last year for Memphis. But he was really, really explosive with those plays. 11.2 yards per run last year for Memphis, if you can believe that. We, we hear these Memphis backs year after year setting records with their yards per carry clip. But on a limited sample size of 33 attempts, 11.2 yards per attempt with four rushing touchdowns. And also what I like for him fantasy-wise, 735 receiving yards and eight touchdowns last year for Memphis. So Gibson, if we're hedging our bets with the PPR He's going to give us the most pass-catching upside of those four guys. Also got Peyton Barber in the mix. Uh, You know, he's never going away. So Peyton Barber in Washington as well. But I like Gibson for the explosiveness and for the pass-catching upside. And I think he's a double-digit PPR guy this week. A little bit wild guess, but I do think he gives us the best bet and we can get him pretty cheap ball for DFS. Up next, we're going to talk about uh, James Conner, a name that in the draft he was hanging around, you know, into the uh, mid to later rounds. It all just seemed like he was the guy always on the board, and 
maybe people not you know excited to take him. But again, as we've profiled on here, he's he's been consistent when healthy. And uh, are you liking this matchup this week against the Giants? We've talked about how terrible their defense is, so it might be a good week for him. I, anyone with a pulse going against Big Blue, <laughs> run him out there. Let's get him in the lineup here. Uh, you know, we were for this week want to talk about borderline guys, and I yes. mean in the deeper league, you're certainly starting Connor. He's probably your number two or number one back if you're in like a 14 or 16 team league, but for 10 team leagues, he may be your third back. And this week, his projection, he's supposed to be the seventh best PPR back. Now, of course, projections can be inconsistent, but the matchup against the Giants is nice. They added Blake Martinez this offseason. The Giants did. Uh, They franchise tag Leonard Leonard Williams, which is a move I was kind of perplexed with from Gettleman. I I don't really know what they're doing with that one, Paul, but yeah. they do tag Leonard Williams. But still, it's it's not a great front seven for the Giants. They were the lower half of the league in running back points allowed last year, and they gave up 13 rushing touchdowns. And here, I mentioned last week on DFS, Big Ben is going to light these guys up when they're throwing. I think he's going to have a couple touchdowns and enough yardage to be a starter. But also, if, if the Steelers get ahead here, they're going to pound the rock, and we know that Tomlin typically deploys just one workhorse back. Going back to even guys like D'Angelo Williams towards the twilight of their career, when they're the lead guy, whatever it may be, injury or underperformance from other Steelers backs, they always go to one guy. So Connor, seemingly healthy at this time, I'm, I'm going with him in DFS, and I'm liking him. If I draft them in a shallow league with 10 teams, even starting them in my flex is my third running back. So... I think that Connor here against the Giants is a nice play week one. Another one, kind of the same situation in the draft, was David Johnson. He was hanging around there, and you might have uh, on your team, David Johnson could be your flex starter because you might be setting your two running back positions, and you might be thinking about popping him in this week, again, on the road against Kansas City. But uh, what do you think of David Johnson? We know what he can do when healthy, and uh, it might be positive for him this week. One thing I'm thinking about, Paul, just in terms of Johnson this week and the whole season – is how much, you know, crap Bill O'Brien has gotten this offseason for yes. the trade that he pulled with DeAndre Hopkins. They need David Johnson to work, don't they? They need to yes. get this guy the ball, and he needs to he needs to put up numbers this year, I think. He does, and I, again, I don't know how Bill O'Brien got the GM job. I thought he was going to be out in fire, but no, they rewarded him with the GM job, and then all of a sudden he does this. So I, he really needs this to turn out, or else I, I can't see him lasting much longer. I can't either. I mean, he is a, he is a good offensive mind, but as a general manager, oh, yeah. uh, questionable, uh, to say the least. And the Chiefs here, Thursday night, kicking off the season, this also is going to be a shootout, I think, much like Rams-Cowboys. This is expected to be a highly scoring affair, uh, the Chiefs are going to be returning 20.2 starters on that whole team. They add linebacker Willie Gay in the second round of the draft. Uh, but overall, still a defense that can be run on. Eighth worst, eighth worst rush defense in the NFL last year. The Chiefs also gave up the fourth most wide, uh, fourth most running back catches. So that's exactly what David Johnson does. He can catch passes out of the backfield. So a team that allowed the fourth most catches to running backs, that's a favorable matchup for David Johnson here in week one against the Chiefs. 
And we're going to get back to that Sunday night matchup. We're going to talk about the backfield of the uh, L.A. Rams. Uh, again, all kinds of things going on, moving parts. It's kind of like Washington in a way because you don't not 100% sure who's going to get the carries after, you know, they released Todd Gurley. You've heard good things maybe about Daryl Henderson. And, you know, got Malcolm Brown in the mix, Cam Akers. Who do we go with in this one? Well, thinking about this philosophically, if we have the starting running back for Sean McVay and he is the guy, that is a fantasy goldmine, Paul. Like, if, if we can decipher who this is going to be, yes. this, this, could, this could win us our fantasy league this year. Like, yes. if it's Cam Akers or Henderson, this, this could be a season-defining pick up here if we get it right yeah because this isn't like the washington you know backfield or you know some other questionable ones around the league this one you know the whoever he rolls with is going to put up some points for you and and they're going to feature them a lot this year week one specifically here daryl henderson has been banged up a little bit with a hamstring injury acres seems to be the guy in camp who's been emerging now we know malcolm brown always there but just about five touches per game last year. I'm not sure if I see him being the workhorse for the Rams. If we think about it, Akers was the first pick of the 2020 draft for the Rams. They did take a second-round pick on him, 52 overall. But still, they take this rookie out of Florida State as their first pick. It is his first game, but first team snaps have been fluid throughout camp, and he's been getting work with the first team. I think he's going to give us the most upside here. Gurley last year for the Rams, of course, if you took him early, uh, there was some speculation about Gurley going to last year, but yes. up and down season still finishes a top 15 back last year. So there's production to be had in this backfield. And I think that Akers is the one who's going to be thrust into that role. Now we know there's going to be three pass catchers who get involvement. That's typically been the McVay blueprint. I think that's going to go to Woods, Cup, and somewhat to Higby. Maybe Akers will get some of that involvement in the passing game too, but if we think about it, it's a Sean McVay back. There is some risk rolling a rookie out there week one. But if you're in a deeper league, I could see it. And the Cowboys were just an average defense last year against running backs. We get Van Der Esch back, but still, there's some holes in that Cowboys defense. They're very thin, and it is a risk fall. But Akers, in a deep league, I could, I could totally see you rolling him out there week one. And now we're going to talk about the uh, team that led all the league. They crushed the records for rushing all-time uh, in one season last year. We're going to talk about the lead guy, Mark Ingram, but also there's another guy right on his heels in J.K. Dobbins. I, what about this situation? Because with Dobbins, I just read today that Harbaugh has him listed as their number four back. I do not believe that with everything that has been coming out of camp and one week saying that, yeah, he's going to have a prominent role in the offense, and then now saying, well, Dobbins is the number four back, so if you own Mark Ingram, you might feel a little ease that he's not going to cut too much into his touches. I don't believe any of that that's been coming out about him. I don't think I buy that, Paul. I mean, he's just too talented. I feel like that's got to be just a coaching maneuver, maybe like a humbling mechanism to kind of keep the locker room at bay in some way, or I don't know, but I... Just have a tough time believing he's not the best or second best back on that team. I mean, sure, Ingram's going to give them the most utility week one, just knowing the playbook and knowing what to expect. But I, I don't really buy that either, Paul. I think he's got to be on the football field what he's contributing. He, he can't be the four-string running back right now. <laughs> no, I can't see him behind Gus, and I can't remember who else they no, have on there. I mean, he's can't be. <laughs> give me a break. Yes. So – 
we consider that, and we do love J.K. Dobbins this year. I think both of us, he, he could be a league winner, much like some other guys who are maybe backups or rookies but have chances to overtake the number one role. He may have more upside than anybody this year uh, among the rookie class, but week one, even if Dobbins was listed as the second-string running back, I'd still like Ingram because I think he's going to have more fantasy success early on in the season. Before Dobbins has a chance to really break in, I think that this is the time you plug in Ingram if you have him. If you stashed both uh, Ingram and Dobbins, you, you go Ingram this week against the Browns. Being the, mo- the more experienced back with no preseason play, I think that he could be a flex play this week or a low-end RB2. And this stat is crazy. The Ravens last year ran the slowest offense in the NFL at pretty much 31 seconds per play, (laughs) but they still ran the third most plays per game behind only the Eagles and the Falcons. So it just goes to show how dominant their defense is, generating turnovers and just getting the ball back to their offense, but also just the the offense's ability to keep the chains moving. So that slow of an offense, yet still third in plays, they're just picking up first down after first down. That, to me, means against a Cleveland defense that's without Mac Brown, that's got, excuse me, not Mac Brown, Mac Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, banged up Greedy Wilson, uh, Delpit is out for the season. I think that Ingram is a nice start here going against these Browns. What do you think here, Paul? On Ingram, I know we like Dobbins over the course yeah. of the year. Now with your Harbaugh news, I'm feeling even <laughs> even more bullish here on Ingram for Week 1. I do like Ingram in Week 1, especially the matchup against the Browns, and it's just proven that uh, they are going to continue to probably just smash mouth the ball. That stat you just gave about, that just takes me back a couple of years when Chip Kelly thought you had to run a play within 10 seconds to be successful with an offense and where they just proved that wrong last year. If you took your time, you could be a very dominant offense and break all kinds of rushing records, which the Ravens did. So obviously I know they're missing a piece on the offensive line uh, for this year, but I still think great things for that rushing attack. And where Ingram was going in these drafts, I mean, I think he's still going to be quite a steal for quite a few people. I do too. I mean, they really did smash the record last year. A lot of it having to do with Lamar Jackson, but just blew it out of the water by 130 yards, a record that had been standing for over 40 years, yeah. uh, set in 1978 by the Patriots. So no small feat. And if you can get that investment in this offense, I feel really good about the Ravens being a dominant team again. Probably more sure about the Chiefs. There's always one one team, Paul, that we expect to be a double-digit win team that just mm-hmm. thinks up the joint, whether it's injury, whether it's something happens with the coaching staff or inefficient play. But I do still want to have investment with this Ravens offense, and I'm still a believer. And that's easy to say with the MVP. So, yeah. you know, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. Now let's talk about who may disappoint you in week one. This situation was disappointing to me the whole preseason, and then they add Leonard Fournette, and that's the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer running backs. And I know they got Brady on offense, they got the great wide receivers, they got Gronk, but that backfield I never liked, and now you add Leonard Fournette to this whole thing, and I I don't know what to believe, and I don't like any of them this week. In terms of fantasy, the Fournette signing is subtraction by addition, because he's not going to, in his own right, be what he was in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. We expected him to be maybe a number two back in fantasy when he's with the Jaguars, because of just the workload he would get, and the ability to punch the ball in, in the red zone. Here, he's going to be mixed in. It's going to be, I imagine, Paul, like a Patriots-type Division of 
carries in the backfield. So Jones is going to be getting 10 carries. Fournette's going to be getting eight. They still got LaShawn McCoy. They still got Keyshawn Vaughn. So, man, I think Ronald Jones is still like a top 30-ish running back, maybe 30-ish. Yeah, I'm yeah. putting it right around that spot. But, you know, they invested a second-round pick in him in 2018. They just really have not handed him the keys. I mean, he had a really rough rookie year. He missed four games with a hamstring, just 1.9 yards per carry, but just 23 attempts. Last year, 1,000 scrimmage yards, he broke that milestone, six rushing touchdowns, and Arians was saying, this is the guy, this is the guy, Ronald Jones, <laughs> Ronald Jones, baby, but no, no, I mean, Fournette, he's just, he's too talented still, I mean, I know yeah. it seems like the league has been out on him, but 260 or more carries in two of his three seasons as a pro, I don't see him just coming in and doing nothing, he also had 76 catches last year, Fournette. Amazingly enough, okay. 76 catches for Leonard Fournette. I see him cutting in a little bit to Ronald Jones' work, so I don't know. Just I'm, I'm staying away from this backfield entirely if I can. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, and we know that Arians likes to throw it around. And, and I do like the stat that you pointed out, though, for later down the road, Fournette, 76 catches. So, you know, he can be a factor in the backfield, you know, receiving the ball, but I, I can't trust these guys pounding the rock, slowing things down in the fourth quarter, trying to ice a game out because Arians likes to throw. I mean, that's just plain and simple. They they like to throw the ball, and I don't think that's good for these backs. That's the blueprint, and even if you know you liked one of these guys as getting the majority of the carries, it wouldn't be a good matchup anyway. The Saints last year gave up the six U.S. PPR points to opposing running backs, so even if Arians ran a system that was you know, worked with a fantasy-relevant running back or a top-ten running back, it wouldn't be a good matchup this week. But, yeah, all the factors are pointing down, so no go on the Bucks' backs this week. Up next. On week one. Yeah, up next we are going to talk about the Lions running backs, and you talk about another situation we don't know who to go with. I remember on Johnson last year coming in the drafts. People were maybe thinking he could have been a top, you know, 12 to 10 back. Then he gets injured. Uh, they – Draft DeAndre Swift, not getting a lot of pub like a lot of the other guys are in this rookie class. And then they sign Adrian Peterson after he was released from Washington. So is this just stay away from this whole situation until we can sort out who's the winner here? It's kind of a similar dynamic to the Bucks backfield in that way. If I was going to bet a guy, it'd probably be, for week one, carry on Johnson. Mm-hmm. But the AP edition also just kind of cancels these guys out. I know that the Bears are a little bit diminished on the defensive side here for the opener. They've lost three of their top six defenders from last year in terms of their top six guys with the highest snap count. Uh, they still got Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack. They, ro- they add on Robert Quinn. So they do have some bad guys in that front seven. But, you know, even if it was a decent matchup, it's just too much distribution of work. There's maybe even Ty Johnson getting two or three or four carries here in week one as they try to bring in AP. They try to bring in Swift. I don't know. I don't see Adrian Peterson getting a lot of work this week, Paul, but maybe a couple carries, Mm -hmm. a couple for Swift, and a couple for Ty Johnson. So if I'm betting someone, it's probably going to be carry on here, but... This is not a fantasy lucrative backfield, much like the Bucks. I'm thinking. Yeah, it just sounds like a stay away thing altogether until, yeah, we find out who they might be rolling with, I guess. And until that point, we might not know until uh, week five or six. You think about the Bears' back end, too, of the secondary. They lose HaHa Clinton-Dix. They lose Amukamura as well. 
And the Lions do have two pretty darn good receivers in Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Mm-hmm. That's the spot where I think they may be able to better attack Chicago here. So that's where I see the Lions having the best advantage, and that would even more get these Lions backs out of our fantasy lineup. Well, let's talk wide receivers now and uh, who we're liking for week one. We talked about a little bit. Uh, we like whoever's going against the Giants' defense and Deontay Johnson of Pittsburgh liking this matchup. You're uh, putting him in this week, right? I'm putting him into a flex spot this week. We think about what the number two wide receiver has done in fantasy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, last year is a bit of an exception, Paul. We had James Washington finishing 54 as the number two receiver for the Steelers. Of course, that was the Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph year. Yes. So I think we give him a bit of a pass on that. Yep. That one, he's, he's cool with that. But in 2018, as the number two receiver for the Steelers, Juju Smith-Schuster finishes the eighth-best PPR receiver. 2017, Juju again behind Antonio Brown, 23rd-best PPR receiver. So this Steelers offense, Big Ben back in the fold. They've shown they can support two top 10, two top 25-ish PPR receivers here, or really just fantasy receivers, regardless of your format. And Johnson, over the last quarter of the regular season, he had two huge games here. Weeks 14 and 16, he was over 20 PPR points in both of those games. 15 and 17, those two weeks, he got you around nine points. So didn't kill you, but also had two blow-up weeks over the final quarter of the regular season. And that giant secondary, it is, it is just atrocious. I know they got Logan Ryan, but I still see it as one of the worst one of the worst secondaries in the league, Paul. And if we go to the robot, the Jeopardy phenom IBM Watson says there's a 19% chance, about a 20% chance for jo- for Johnson to boom this week, a.k.a. go over 18 fantasy points, just an 8% chance for him to bust and go under 8 points. So more than two times as likely it is that he'll fail, he's likely to succeed. I think he's going to have a big week against the Giants, and he's going to come pretty cheap. Also, Paul, when they had Big Ben in the lineup – they led the NFL in pass attempts by more than three tenths, three tenths per game over any other team. It's going to be a high volume passing attack here. Uh, the only question is, are they going to get too much space in the second half where they're just start trying to turn clock? That would be my concern here with Johnson. Up next, we're going to talk about Michael Gallup. He's been uh, one of our favorites here in uh, draft season, but now here we are week one and uh, people might be on the fence about if I should put him in a flex role or not. And again, now we hear the news. Jalen Ramsey's happy. He got his money. He got paid today uh, from the Rams and uh, it, with that secondary in that matchup. But are you still liking him this week i'm liking him now i get your perspective again on mccarthy we've gotten into this a little bit on a previous episode but kellen moore is going to stay the offensive coordinator how much is mccarthy going to impact paul that's the question here is is this offense dynamic going to change are they still going to be airing it out a good bit of course they have zeke but yeah how is mccarthy going to impact this offense that is the key question I think it's a plus for Gallup, and I see that he has been praising him in preseason. He says he's the number one on any other team, so I or you know he could be a, he could be a number one there too with uh, what they've got on the other side. Amari Cooper, who's always you know good for three weeks, and then he falls off for three weeks. So I mean, Gallup could maybe overtake. I don't want to go out and say that he might take overtake Cooper this year, but I mean if they're saying if. He is singing the praises that he could be a number one guy, and this guy is the same coach that kind of saw the things in another 
you know, project, draft project in Devontae Adams a couple years ago and has always had good re- success developing these wide receivers that were second-round picks, third, later-round picks, and turned them into stars. I really do like Michael Gallup this year, and with uh, McCarthy there, they are going to throw it a lot. I believe that, so Zeke owners might not like that, but I do think <laughs> it's going to be good for Gallup. You make a great point on Adams and just the development of receivers for McCarthy. And also the comparison with Cooper, Gallup actually outscored Cooper weeks 5 through 17 by nearly a half point per game in PPR. Gallup was a top 13 receiver weeks 5 through 17 last year. This matchup against the Rams is really tasty too. I mean, these two offenses, they like to push the ball and they like to run up tempo. Uh, Dallas number two, Los Angeles Rams number three in terms of pace of play last year. So I see, you know, 60, 65 snaps. For each of these offenses, we'll see how that breaks down, how turnovers impact that. But I think there's going to be a lot of offensive volume. And Prescott loved Gallup. He was showing that last year. And Gallup, 8.2 targets per game during that week's 5-17 through 17 stretch. If you extrapolate that out, 8.2 targets per game over 16 weeks, that'd put him around 130 targets, which would be pretty much exactly what Odell Beckham Jr. had last year wow. as the 15th most targeted receiver in the NFL. So the work was there. That's the misconception. I mean, the C.D. Lamb addition also complicates things a little bit. That's kind of the wild card too, Paul. I mean, yeah. C.D. Lamb, he's a, he could have been the number one receiver in this draft. I think that helps Gallup out, though, more because now they have to pay more attention to him in the slot where that could be opening things up for Gallup even more because, you know, they got to keep an eye on Lamb and, you know, any moment he could bust one loose. So I I really think that the guy that, you know, makes out the best in this is Gallup. Yeah, they'll pull, they'll pull some, you know, that will definitely pull some coverage off of him. So that's the other side to it. Like you said, that could just open up some more single coverage for Gallup and some more opportunities for game-breaking plays. I will say for C.D. Lamb, the expectations are big. Mm-hmm. They gave him number 88. And that's yeah. a story that's been around all offseason, but I think that's pretty funny. That's, you know, big expectations taking that 88 for the Cowboys, but I do, I do see your side of it. Lamb could pull some coverage off of Gallup and Cooper this year. Now they probably told him, don't be like the last 88. We don't have enough mall security anymore, so true, we can't – we, we, we need you to be like the Hall of Famer 88s <laughs> that we had, so – We'll yeah, we need you to be Irvin. Yes, not the king of the court in the mall. Okay, so we can't provide that protection anymore. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Flex wide receivers that may not help you out in week one, and we're going to go, oh, come on. You're you're not loving Fitzmagic's go-to target, Devontae Parker, in week one? I'm a little bit worried he's been banged up a bit, but if we if we were on the robot again, <laughs> it's the last time I'm going to do it this week, but IBM Watson, pretty much the inverse probabilities as Deontay Johnson. He's pretty much actually three times more likely to boom than he is to bust. Sorry, three times more likely to bust than he is to boom this week as Parker. So basically he's three times more likely to go under six fantasy points than he is to go over 21 points. So the outlook in this matchup is not favorable based on the analytics. He's dealing with an undisclosed injury I mentioned at the top, Paul, NFL teams are not going to be able to lean on that anymore going to the regular season. They can't stay undisclosed for much longer, but we still don't really know what it is for Devontae Parker that he's dealing with. He did have one big game against the Patriots last year, week 17. His other matchup, no catches. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore. If he shadows Parker, that could be trouble. I'm not sure if that will be in the game plan for New England for week one. But what's turning me off most, Paul, is just the one game with no catches last year, the reality of Gilmore on the other side, and the chief concern, he's just dealing with something that's undisclosed. If you're in a deep league, you may have no choice but to just roll the dice with Parker if you're in a 14-team league, but... I'm trying to stray away if I can here. Uh, well, I'm 100% with you. And yes, he had a great season last year, but how many years did it take to get that great season? And I'm a little leery that it might not progress into this year. I just, it took a while. And I know it's the whole third year wide receiver thing. That's maybe what helped him out last year, finally learning the game more. But I don't know. There's just too much there. And if Tua gets into the starting role, I don't know. I mean, for this week, yeah, I think you stay away from him. I mean, I had him on the board sitting there a couple times, Paul. Just couldn't pull the trigger. No. Like, I'd have a chance to slot him into my number two receiver role or something like that. And I, I don't know. I just went other ways. I went with early on tight end or something like that. Yes. But I just did not find myself drafting him this year. If he does it again, you know, mm-hmm. I'll tip my hat. But yep. I'm, I'm not sure either. I'm a little bit skeptical here. Yeah, and I know in deeper leagues, Preston Williams has been the one people have been falling yeah. in love with instead of Parker. I think that he could be, I mean, in terms of his ADP, if you're going to take Parker as like a top four draft choice among your picks, like, you know, fourth round pick, yeah. or you're going to take Parker in like, you know, 11th, 12th round, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I think he has a lot more upside. And Parker, he, I mean, Preston Williams last year, sorry, Preston Williams last year in the preseason, he was one of the stars. I mean, he was literally one of the most explosive players last preseason, of course, you know, preseason is preseason, but Preston Williams... Exhibition, exhibition slate last year, he looked really good and like he would take a, a job last year. So a little banged up at points, but he did show flashes. And I agree. I think Preston Williams at his ADP is a better value than Devontae Parker. This one uh, is giving me trouble personally because I have him and I saw the designation for him that he might, you know, there might be an issue there. I saw the cue questionable pop up. Brandon Cooks against the Chiefs. My problem is I only, I already own Will Fuller. So it's one of those situations where I don't want to start two guys from the same team and put Cooks in my flex if I really don't have to. Oh, this game, I, I, I like Fuller more than Cooks. So what do you think of Brandon Cooks here for week one? I'm with you 100%. I would go fuller. You know, we talked about his production 2015 to 2018 and also where he's been going in draft. He is really exciting. I mean, 2015 to 2018, what was it, Paul? I think he was one of four receivers with a thousand receiving yards each of those seasons. The other guys were like Mike Evans, Antonio Browns, and Julio Jones. It's like, yes. I can't believe Brandon Cooks is in this company. But that production, you know, that was a little bit on the back burner just because of all the concussion issues. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I, I drafted him in the league as well, just based off our podcast and research. I really liked him, but I'm sorry to say I wasn't surprised when something came up this week, you know, late yep. notice Monday, he misses practice. So I think Monday he was partial Tuesday. He sat out and today, Wednesday, as we're recording, he was part go again today. Wasn't able to go through all the drills, but able to get into some action I don't know. I'm trying to stray away. I do like his season-long outlook. I mean, of course, he could only play like five or six games this year and be injured. We we knew that when we drafted him. That was baked into his ADP and yes. why he was sliding down boards. But season-long, it may be worth the roll of the dice. I do see that as a viable strategy. Week one with the quad injury, ah, this is kind of where I see that strategy you mentioned, Paul. You stash Kenny Stills. You, ca- you stash Randall Cobb. You got Will Fuller. 
as a best ball guy or you know just a regular fantasy asset who you can plug in there while he's healthy. This is where that comes in handy because the Texans do have a lot of skill players who deal with injury and who are banged up. And yeah, I can see this is a week where you may swing in Fuller, you may swing in Kenny Stills in the deep league, but I am definitely keeping an eye on Brandon Cooks. I've already pulled him out of my lineup, just kind of being careful here for week one. Another one we got to watch out for now in Tampa, it looks like Mike Evans is starting to pop up on that injury report. A guy that, you know, we're expecting big things from with the Brady connection now, and uh, we're not sure. We're going to have to tune in Sunday morning to find out if he can go or not. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could give you more advice. It's kind of like Edelman. I mean, I'm tr- kind of sitting on the fence here. I'm like, we got to just check back in Sunday morning. But yeah. I think with this, it's the same thing with Evans here. Bruce Arian said he's day-to-day with a hamstring injury. You know, the Saints, they've got Lattimore. They've got some weapons in the secondary. They've got some guys who can shut you down. But still, this is going to be a shootout, we think. And if Evans is a go, of course, you're starting him. I mean, he's probably yeah. your number one receiver or your second receiver if you went really heavy at receiver up top. But, of course, if he's playing, I mean, I'm rolling him out there. But we got to keep an eye on this one. This one just came up today. Mike Evans, sorry to say, we got to keep an eye. Hopefully it's something that he can recover from in the next few days. Be ready for the Saints. And, well, we need a tight end, don't we? We need to talk about one tight end at least because they're there and we need somebody to help us out this week. Who is a guy to keep on the radar? Maybe a deep league uh, that you could be starting uh, this guy this week. Sure. We mentioned some of the big names, but someone, if you're in a 12-14 team league, could have some value here. It's Chris Herndon from the Jets. Now, some people are probably rolling their eyes like, oh boy, here we go. We got a Herndon truther here. No, I mean, I do think he has a lot of upside. I do think that last year was basically a lost season for him. Suspended for the first few games of the year dealt with a hamstring injury that kept him out, broken rib, eventually ended his season in mid-November. So really, he appeared in just one game last year, did Chris Herndon, but there was some hype on him going into 2019. Yes, there was, yeah. I, I, I like this one. I mean, weeks 6 to 17 of 2018. So basically, the final 10 weeks of 2018, he gave you a startable tight end performance in 7 out of those 10 games. So basically... What I did to make this stat, a startable tight end, if he's in the top 12, we'll say it's a 12-team league, does he get enough to be you know, fantasy relevant and be a top 12 tight end? Herndon, at the back end of 2018, he was a top 12 tight end in seven of those 10 games. The only guys who did that more often were Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. So he gave you a very yeah. high floor in 2018, and we've, talked, we've hammered the table about you know, some of these guys are coming back, Paul, but the Jets receiving core has been just banged up. Questions about what's going to happen with Bell. I think he's going to be involved early. But, you know, these receivers are banged up, and I can see Herndon pulling five, six, seven targets against the Bills this week. It's the old case of somebody needs to catch the ball, and he could be it. Exactly. Someone with a pulse. We need <laughs> yes. someone out on the field to play downs, and Herndon's going to be that guy, and he has some talent, so... I like him in deep leagues this week. Well, that's going to put a wrap on this week's show. Again, Corey Smith, NFL writer at RotoWire. Thanks again for helping us out with some of these tough decisions. We got the flex position this week. Who should we go with? And again, best of luck to everyone here in week one. Excited that football is back. Again, you can always follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. If you have any sit or start questions for future weeks as well, you can submit them there. We'd love to answer them on upcoming shows. Thanks again and again. 
Best of luck in week one, Fantasy Football Zone. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftToThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.